Andrei Sakharov was a Russian nuclear physicist. And he became known for designing the RDS-37, which is codename for thermonuclear weapons. In other words, Andrei Sakharov was responsible for giving the Russians the atomic bomb. And there's a story that goes around about him, where it says that when he was on his deathbed, some say, some say towards the end of his life, he said this, I always thought that the most powerful weapon in the world was the bomb, and that's why I gave it to my people. But I've come to the conclusion that the most powerful weapon in the world is not the bomb, but it is the truth. The most powerful weapon, he says, is the truth. Is truth important? Well, there's something called the Innocence Project. You can look them up online, it's just innocenceproject.org. And they are an organization that is dedicated to freeing those who have been incarcerated or accused falsely. If you go to their website, it lists, it has different names for different years. For 2019, it says that there are seven people who were their clients who were freed and exonerated. And then below the number seven has the number 176. And that stands for 176 years that those who they freed served in total starting from 14 years all the way up to 36 years in prison. Can you imagine being in prison for 36 years for a crime you did not commit? Does truth matter? Of course it does. And that is why God never says, oh, it doesn't matter what you believe. We can't find that anywhere in the Bible. In fact, the Bible just says over and over, this, the word of God is truth. There is a place to find truth. And that is here in the word of God. Why does it matter what we believe? Because it shapes everything in our lives. What we do, what we say, how we respond to things. And that's why God says it is important that you seek the truth. There's a conversation with Jesus and some of the Pharisees and his time. And I want to take you there today because it is all about the truth and what Jesus tells them about it. We're going to go to John chapter 8 and we'll begin with verse 31. But this conversation already 
started way before this, and it continues after this, but we're going to read a pretty good chunk of it because I want you to know what is going on. So in verse 31 in chapter 8, it says, Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will, you will be made free? Conveniently, they're forgetting that they have been in bondage in Egypt, by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, and now by Rome. But they're saying, oh no, we are free. And so Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin, because that's what he's talking about. He says every single person commits sin, and so every single person is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. He's talking about himself and using the house as a metaphor for eternal life. He says, I am the one who abides forever. And then he says, therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And he continues, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. And this is where he starts to talk about my father and your father is someone completely different. And so they respond and they say, Abraham is our father. And he says, no, no, no. Abraham is not your father, because if he was your father, you would act like him, and he followed God, and you do not. And then let's pick it up in verse 41. He ends it by saying, you did the deeds of your father, once again mentioning their father. And now they get nasty, and they say, we were not born of fornication, we have one father, God. Why do I say they turn nasty? Well, because they're saying we were not born of fornication, you were. You see, they had heard about his virgin birth. And so then he responds and says, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I was sent from God. So in verse 43, why do you not understand my speech? He's saying, why do you not understand what I'm saying? And then he answers himself. He says, because you're not able to listen to my word. He says, you can't. You can't listen to my word. You can't hear it. And then he gives them the why. Because he says, you are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. The word for the desires of your father is the word that is every single time it is used, it's the word epithumia, and it's every single time it's used for like ungodly desires. The desires and passions of this world, things that Satan wants to do, that people want to do. And he says, the same things that Satan wants, that's what you want. And then they say, oh, and then he continues, uh, describes what, who Satan is. He was a murderer from the beginning 
and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. They're saying, we serve God. And he says, no, you don't. In fact, you are holding on to darkness. And you don't want to let go. The conversation continues, and it gets more and more heated until they want to stone Jesus. Because they don't like what he's saying. Because it is truth. And they know it. thing that I see in this conversation as the biggest thing that Jesus is trying to show is that he's giving a warning. He says, you can believe that you are believing in the truth and yet not have the truth at all. There are three things that they believed. They believed that they were the descendants of Abraham, and therefore because of that, they had salvation. They believed that they were free. They also believed that they were serving God. I mean, come on, we are the leaders of the nation. Of course we're serving God. We're leading people on how to walk with God. That is our job. We interpret the Bible for them. We show them how they should believe. Of course, we're serving God. And Jesus says, no. You may think that's what's going on, but it really isn't. Because you see, Truth is about facts, but it's not just about facts. It's also about the interpretation of those facts. And God says, that interpretation needs to come from me. Winston Churchill is known for saying, truth is the most valuable thing in the world. In fact, it is so valuable that often it is protected by a bodyguard of lies. Truth is the most valuable thing in the world. In fact, it is so valuable that often it is protected by a bodyguard of lies. It's the lies that surround the truth and the truth is hidden. And what hits us first is those lies because there are so many of them. I want you to turn with me to 2 Thessalonians 2.10. We'll start with actually verse 9. It's talking about Satan. And it says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. Satan, who's working with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteousness, unrighteous deception among those who perish. And it says, These people perish because they have believed all of this deception. And it is because... 
They did not receive the love of what? The truth. They did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. It's about the truth and about love for the truth. What kinds of things guard the truth? What kinds of things protect the truth, stand in the way of truth? The society, the things that society teaches, things that we're taught, things that we hear over and over again, things that we see over and over again, feelings, our feelings a lot of times decide what is true for us. I mean, I'm pretty sure that you have all seen it before. A girl who is absolutely in love. She is totally infatuated with this guy, but everybody around her knows that he's bad for her. And it doesn't matter what you tell her because she will not see it because she is in love. But that love is not going to change the fact that he is bad for her. But we fall for our feelings. Because if something feels good or it doesn't feel good, well, then that's the determination. That's what tells us which way we should be going. So if it feels good in the moment to scroll through those pictures, only to afterwards feel shame and regret. People go right back to it because it feels good in the moment. It doesn't matter that the truth is that it destroys lives. Or how about if you feel bad because you're the only person that is not doing something? What if everybody decides to go to this movie that you know there's nothing good about it. But in the moment it feels bad because you're the one who's left out. So then you should go because it feels bad. Unfortunately, we let our feelings decide what is right and what is wrong a lot. Or what about what the society tells us? There was a time, they say, that people believed that the earth is flat. Did that make the earth flat? No, it's still round, it always has been round. What about the people who believed in bloodletting and said everybody who is sick needs to just let go of some blood to get healthy? Did that actually make it true? No. I see a lot of things on the internet that just prove my point, where I think, really? Just because I am a Christian and I think that I'm right, I have the right to be hateful towards someone else? Is that the truth? 
Or what about what we hear over and over and over again? Sometimes it's things that somebody else tells us. Like I've told you before that when I was in first grade, my first grade teacher labeled me as dumb. And so for pretty much the rest of my life, I was trying to prove to everyone else and myself that I'm not dumb. It can be things that we hear from someone else, but it can also be things that we tell ourselves, things that just spin in our brains, that we convince ourselves of, until we believe that those are the truth. Or what about the things we deserve? I mean, don't we deserve certain things? Isn't that what people tell us? Well, I deserve that promotion. That was not supposed to go to that person because I am so much better. But the truth is that our honor does not come from the world. It comes from God. Solomon said in Proverbs, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Why is it the way of death? Because evil destroys. It causes eternal death. We may think that something is true and that we are even serving God. And we're not. Instead, it's all about my own pride, my selfishness, my own desires. It's me holding on to darkness. So how do I know the truth? Well, Jesus said it right at the beginning of our passage. I'm going to go back to verse 31. He says to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He says, you will know the truth when you abide in my word. The word for abide is the word to remain, to stay somewhere. So Jesus is saying, I don't want you to just visit the word of God. I want you to live it, to live in it to stay in it, to remain in it. It's not about me picking this up and then reading something in the morning and then putting it away and it just sits on the shelf because that's where it belongs. But I did my duty, right? I read the Bible. But that's visiting the Bible. That is not staying or remaining in the word of God. Remaining in the word of God is listening to it spending time in it all the time, every day, so that those thoughts get replaced with the word of God and what the truth is. He says, this is how you will love the truth, by abiding in my word. 
But he doesn't end there. He says there is something really important about the truth. Why do we need to hold on to the truth? Because he says the truth will make you free. What truth? What is he talking about? Where he explains it right after, where he says it's all about me. I am the one who came to give you life. I am the one who sacrifices himself. I'm the one who died for you on the cross. And because of that, you have forgiveness and you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life so that you can be changed. Sometimes we hear about the idea of the fact that we are to be free in Jesus and we get this idea that somehow it's just supposed to be this thing where I say, okay, you promised, Lord, to set me free, so please set me free. I prayed over this, now make it happen. And then it doesn't happen, and we get disappointed. Because we think it's supposed to happen overnight, just like that. But that is not how it works. You know why? Because if that's how it worked, then I would just be able to say, oh, I did that. It was really easy. And it's over. I did that all on my own. Nothing in my life that God has ever taken away or changed in me has just been overnight. Some of it has been a little faster than some other things. But every single time I have had to pray through it and pray over and over and over and stay on my knees and in the word of God until the word of God became so powerful in my life that I started taking steps forward more than I was taking them back. And then over time, those steps forward become the thing that you do. It's the word of God which is the power of God, the power in Jesus' name that changes us. It doesn't happen overnight. There's a song that's called There is Power by Lincoln Brewster. I'm gonna read you some of the lines. It says, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in his name. No fear, no lie can stand against us now. He is here. The word has come to silence every doubt. He is here. There is power in the name of Jesus. And then it ends with saying, one name, one name can save. One name breaks every chain. One name always, one name Jesus, one name remains one name we will proclaim one name always there is power in the name of Jesus and that is why God wants us to abide in the word of God because that is how we experience the power of God the power of Jesus' name in our lives when we abide in his word we let him change us through his word. It is a new year. Isn't that a great new year resolution? To say, Lord, 
I want to abide in your word this year. Not just visit, but abide. So please help me. We need his help to do that. To love the truth and to hold on to him. Let's pray. Lord God, we need you. We need your power in our lives to abide in your word so that you can set us free. So that we learn about your truth. Help us to love your truth and nothing else that Satan throws in our way. But that we love your truth, that we love you. I pray this in your name and put us into your hands. Amen.